0: in uh, in every verse. And today, we've actually finished studying the text. But I just believe it's incomplete if we leave Isaiah 53 before we uh, spend some time discussing some arguments against what we Christians believe. Uh, We believe that Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about Christ. Sadly, not everybody read that text say so. Uh, we have a lot of um, like Jewish people read that text, and they say this is not about Jesus. This is just about the nation of Israel, the servant of God that is being persecuted by the Gentiles. And they applied that text not to Christ, but to Israel. So we need to look into their uh, arguments, and need to look into their claims, and then need to uh, examine it and see if it's true or if it's not true. Are we right? Are we wrong? Um, I believe it's my responsibility as your pastor to train you how to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus, amen? That means when you come here, you don't have always to hear things that you agree with, but you need to hear every um, perspective, every point of view from the scripture, and you need, I, I, it's, I feel like I have the time, and it's my responsibility to teach you and equip you how to answer objections. If uh, you run into a Jewish person and they start throwing some arguing argument at you, you need to know what to say, Amen. And I believe it's my job to teach you all of that. So, hopefully, you're on board. Because if you're not, too bad. We're gonna go do it anyways. All right. So, actually, um, I found this article. This website called Jews for Judaism. Uh, it's it's. Uh, you, if you heard of Jews for Jesus, this website is against that. It's called Jews for Judaism. So it's a it's it's a website that mainly written to counteract Christian missions and like show Christians how their theology about Christ from the Old Testament is faulty. So this article that um, has all these arguments is actually from that website. There's a a link to it and uh, the name and everything if you want to look it up yourself. And once we post these notes online, you just can click on the link and it should take you there right away. Um, I read through this article by one of the rabbis, um, and I found that he has really six major arguments. Against our understanding of Isaiah 53. Uh, we end up with these seven pages. Uh, I'm not going to touch base on all of them, but I want to have answers to all of them. Amen? Amen. So actually, I'm going to start with you today with argument number four in page three. Because I want argument one, two, and three. You can read it yourself. It's not very complicated. But really, for me, argument four, five, and six uh, are the heavyweight ones. So we're going to go through that. And then if you have questions, you can stop me and ask me, and we'll try to go through these arguments. You guys follow me so far? So page 3, argument 4. So this is how, like, why would a Jew read Isaiah 53 and tell us, oh, this is not Jesus. This is the children of Israel. This is the nation of Israel. This argument goes like this. Isaiah tells us in so many other places from Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 66 that the servant is actually Israel. There is about 12 insta- incidences where th- this God says plainly, you are my servant Jacob, you are my servant Israel, 12 times between Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 63, the Bible say that, God says that. So, that's, so the argument here is this, since God said that the servant is Jacob before uh, Isaiah 53, and there is some hints to that after Isaiah 53, so even though... The servant is not mentioned here in Isaiah 53. We should assume, by the flow of the arguments, of the flow of the of the scripture, that the servant here is also still Israel. That's the argument. You guys follow me? Well, here is the answer to that. Um, <clears throat> well, God did say, actually, "You are my servant, Israel," twelve times between Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 66. But this is not is not in a way an argument. For what the Jews understand, Isaiah 53, this is actually an argument against them. Because if God can simply say, you are my servant Israel, or you are my servant Jacob, in all these times, then why didn't God say the same exact thing in Isaiah 53, right? And God say, in the very beginning, behold, my servant Israel shall prosper. And then the argument is settled. We don't even have to think about that scripture, Right? So they say God mentioned it so many other times, therefore Isaiah 53 servant is Israel by association. I argue back and say, no, if God can say it, Easily, All these times, therefore, he could have easily said it this time and there will be no argument. Amen. As a matter of fact, the fact that God did not name his servant and specify that it is Israel or Jacob specifically in Isaiah 53 might even trigger our thought. Why didn't God do that? Right? If he can simply do it every other incidence, then maybe there is a reason why he didn't do it this specific time. Amen? Maybe, maybe, maybe that the servant here is not Israel. That's why God didn't specify in Isaiah 53 that the servant is Israel. You guys follow me? Now, the topic or the word, the servant of the Lord, is exhaustive as far as what you can read and what you can study In the book of Isaiah, it was mentioned so many times, I think 39 times uh, from Isaiah throughout the whole book. We read that phrase, servant of the Lord. Um, Really, the focus will be in Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 66. That is like Dodro Isaiah, which is the second part of Isaiah. It's a little bit different than the first 39 verses, and that's where all the arguments and theology reside. So we're going to focus a little bit more on that second part of Isaiah. Before Isaiah 53, the, the the terms servant of the Lord was mentioned at least 20 times. Before the after that, after Isaiah 53, we don't hear the word servant of the Lord anymore. It's always plural after that. It's always servants of the Lord. Amen? Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, that's a reference to the nation of Israel because it's plural. He's not talking about an individual servant. He's talking about the servants that is the whole nation. So let's zero in more then between Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 53 to try to understand who is that servant of the Lord. Again, we see that 12 times God plainly tells us that the servant of the Lord is Israel or Jacob's sin thing. That's from Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 53. I listed all the incidences here 41, 8, 9, 42, 19. You, you count them. I think they're 11, might not be 12. Now, even though God plainly tells us 11 or 12 times here that the servant is Israel, there are some passages between Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 53 that kind of like your interest, and you want to look into it and study it a little bit closer because it is really hard to understand, okay? The first passage about that is in Isaiah 42. If you read Isaiah 42, it seems like God is talking about two different servants, okay? There is a servant who is righteous, who's doing the will of God, and then there is a servant that is not righteous who is actually blind and deaf and not willing or able or capable of obeying the voice of God. You guys follow me? In the first part of Isaiah 42, we hear about the servant that God tells us about him. Behold, my servant. He bring forth justice to the nation. He will uh, do what? Faithfully bring forth justice until he has established justice on earth. I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. And then it says to open blind eyes to bring prisoners into out of the dungeon. So this servant, I picked and chose some phrases here. But this servant is the one that God has anointed by his Holy Spirit and he is faithful. Faithful, and he will succeed in accomplish what God has called him to do And notice that the servant here is not named okay It doesn't say behold my servant Jacob whom I' whom I uphold. If you go all the way to verse 19 we read this who is blind but my servant or so deaf as my messenger whom I sent who is so blind as he who is so blind as uh, as he that at peace with me? Who is so blind as him who is at peace with me, or so blind as the servant of the Lord? So here we see in verse nineteen that that servant is blind and deaf, and he doesn't is not able to obey God. It doesn't tell us who that servant is, but if you keep reading, I think verse um, uh, verse twenty four it says this: Who gave Jacob up? Um, God gave Jacob up for spoil and Israel for the plunderer. So we see from the context that that servant in verse nineteen is actually the nation of Israel that is deaf and blind and doesn't want or capable of obeying the voice of the Lord. Amen? So it seems like the fact that Israel is mentioned to be the servant of God from Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 53, it is not an exclusive argument from the Jews. There are some incidences that the servant cannot be Israel. You guys follow me? And the first example here is Isaiah 42 another example in Isaiah 44 26 we read that the servant here is actually the prophets that God has sent to Israel he says that God confirming the word of his servant and performing the word of his messenger talking about what God has did in the past he sent prophets he sent messengers and God called the prophet as a corporate body here the servant of the Lord in Isaiah 44 verse 26 again once, I, I'm trying to dig holes into the argument that since Israel is mentioned to be the servant, therefore Isaiah 53 must be Israel. The argument is, no, no, wait, it's not exclusive that every single time God said the word servant, is always a reference to Israel. Amen? Now, what's that? It's contextual. Correct, correct. Yeah, it's not an exclusive argument from what they're saying. Isaiah 49, 5 to 6. We read here that the servant is actually the faithful remnant of Israel. Not the whole nation, but only the ones who are faithful to God. And as a matter of fact, we see in Isaiah 49 that the servant will bring Israel back to God. So we see that the servant is the faithful remnant who is distinct from the nation of Israel. Amen? So in Isaiah 49, it's impossible that the servant here is is the actual the nation. Here is what it says. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to do what? To bring Jacob back to him. We see here that the servant cannot be Jacob, cannot be Israel. As a matter of fact, the servant is the one who's gonna bring the nation, Jacob or Israel, back to God. You guys follow me? Clear like what? Okay, let's keep going. Um, I'm, I'm just going to skip through a lot of stuff, but you guys are welcome to study this at home if you want to, so you can be prepared and ready. Now, we come after, so that's Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6. Now, Isaiah 49, verse 7, the very first, very following verse, it's a little bit tricky. I'm having a hard time understanding it because the word servant can be either a reference to the whole nation or the remnant that just God has just spoken about in verse 5 and 6. This is what verse 7 reads. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to the despised one, to the one who... Uh, To the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see and rise. Princes will also bow down because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So the servant of rulers here, I mean, you can even say that's not even the servant of the Lord. But the, the word servant here, it's either a reference to the remnant or either a reference to the nation. Either one can go. Follow me so far. You guys follow me? From Isaiah 40 all the way to almost Isaiah 49, we see that mostly the servant is the nation of Israel. You guys follow me? With the exception of Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 44, one says that he's not Israel, the other one it says it's the prophet, right? In Isaiah 49, now it seems like Isaiah is zooming in and he's saying that the servant is not the whole nation, it's only that remnant, Okay. And then if we move forward to Isaiah 50, it seems like Isaiah is zooming in even more. Not the whole nation, not the remnant, but he's singling out one person who is the servant of the Lord. That's Isaiah 50 verses 1 to verse 10. You guys follow me? Seems like Isaiah is like uh, like a pyramid where he's just heading toward the top, and each time he moves in the text, he's narrowing it down to to not to the nation, not to the remnant, but to an individual person. We read in Isaiah fifty uh, verse ten like this: "Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of His uh, servant?" Now he's talking to the nation of Israel. He's now talking to the Gentiles. He's talking to Israel. And he's saying, "Who is among you, the nation?" Obey the voice of a servant that walks in darkness and has no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So if you read the whole context of Isaiah 50 verses 1 to 10, that is the one that God will anoint with the Holy Spirit who will send him to restore the nation back to God. It seems again like, Isaiah is narrowing down the the very definition of who is the servant of the Lord as he moves forward in that text. Amen? And he reached the climax of that in Isaiah 53, where the servant must be the Messiah, the Son of God, who will come down to redeem us. Amen? So you guys can see that there is a trend here in the way Isaiah talks about the servant. In the beginning, he talks about him being the whole nation. Then in in chapter 44, he narrows that to the remnant. In Isaiah 50, it's kind of like flips a little bit from being even the remnant or a group of people to just one person who will be anointed by the Spirit of God. And one can argue that 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 theology or that trend of Isaiah reached its climax in Isaiah 53 where the servant is exclusively the Messiah, the Son of God, that can never be Israel. You guys follow me so far? All right, so that is the first argument. They say, well, since the servant is mentioned to be Jacob so many other times, therefore Isaiah 53 must be Israel. We say, not too fast. Amen? All right, let's move to the second, um, one of the stronger arguments. So the question will become, who is the speaker of Isaiah 53? Okay, like Isaiah 53 starts by saying, who has believed our report and to whom the hand of the Lord has been revealed? And then it talks about the servant and say, he grew up before him like a tender plant. So who is that person who started in Isaiah 53 verse 1 and said, who has believed our report and to whom the hand of the Lord has been revealed? Who is the speaker here? The, the, the Jewish rabbis would argue that the speaker here are the, the Gentiles' nations, okay, and that they talk about Israel as the suffering servant of the Lord. They say, wait a minute, remember Isaiah 52, verses 3 to 15, when we read that the servant will sprinkle many kings and many nations will shut their mouth in his presence because they will be astonished at how, how high God will lift him up. They say these nations, these kings that has just been sprinkled by the blood of the, the servant or have been just amazed at how God exalted him are the ones who start speaking right after that in Isaiah 53. And they're the ones who talks about Israel, saying how Israel has suffered for their behalf and how been tor- how Israel has been tortured for because of their own wickedness. That is the Jewish argument. You guys follow me? Okay. Now, so let's look into that a little bit. Can the speaker of Isaiah 53 be the Gentile nations that were just mentioned in Isaiah 52, verse uh, 13, 14, and 15? The answer is no. It's impossible. Why? Let's look at that. We mentioned this. Um, in, notice that verse 8 is actually key to uh, try to understand who is the speaker. In verse 8, we see this. For the the transgressions of my people. Notice that's the speaker. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Okay? So the speaker here is identifying the nation of Israel as my people. Right? So that cannot never be the Gentiles because... It, it make a distinction between that that the servant is suffering for his own people. He's not suffering for the, for for a people from a different ethnicity or a people from different group. You guys follow me? You guys follow me. Again, the servant is suffering for his own people, right? The servant the idea here is that the speaker is the Gentiles, therefore Israel are suffering for a different group of people, the Gentiles. but that's not what the text here. The text here is saying that the servant is suffering for his own, uh, Ethnicity for his own people from his own same exact ethnic group. Amen? And now people usually almost exclusive in the scripture is a reference to Israel. Right? So the servant is part of Israel. He's suffering for Israel. The Gentiles can never be the speakers here. All right? Point number two. If you remember, we discussed this. In Isaiah 52, in the beginning, it says that kings will shut their mouth in his presence and the nations will be astonished. Why? Right after that, it says, because those who never heard, now they heard. And those who were never told, now they're being told. So the reason the nations, the Gentiles, were astonished at the servant is because that was news to them. They never heard about him before. And once they heard, they came to the conclusion that they were amazed at what God has accomplished through that servant. Amen? So the reason they they're were astonished is that they moved from ignorance to knowledge. You guys follow me? But in Isaiah 53, we see that the servant, not that he never heard, that the people, the speaker, not that they never heard, but they actually they never understood Why the servant was suffering, right? You read through and you see that the speaker here says, Oh, we were thinking that he was smitten by God and stricken for his own sins. But the the fact of the matter is he was smitten and stricken because of our own sins. You guys follow me? So there's a massive distinction between the Gentiles in, in chapter 52 versus the speaker of Isaiah 53. The Gentiles in Isaiah 52 did not know, and once they knew, they were astonished at the salvation that the Lord has accomplished. On the other hand, the speaker in Isaiah 53 knew, but they just did not understand what was going on. You guys follow me? Clear like mud? Good? Okay, let's move on. Now, this is the last argument here. They say, you know, it is so obvious that the servant that has suffered in Isaiah 53 is Israel. And I applaud this guy. Like, he really did an amazing job. He almost went through Isaiah 53 phrase by phrase and found a description of the nation of Israel that is similar to that. And he said, see, the parallelism can never lie. This is so obvious that the servant here is, is Israel. For example... Israel will be exalted after humiliation. That's Isaiah 52, 13. He found other scriptures in Isaiah 61 to 3 and all this stuff that God will exalt Israel after humiliation. Israel will be marred through the exile. He found reference to that in Lamentation 4 that Israel will be so blackened because of the suffering that they're going to endure. The nation will be shocked at the vindication of the servant. And Micah 7 says something like that. So he has 15 points, similarities between who is the servant of Isaiah 53, and he finds multiple other scripture references to say that this must be the servant because it's it's the exact same thing was said about Israel in some other places. Amen. So let's go through them one by one. And we're going to try to answer each one of these um, uh, similarities. And you're going to find that this is really, um, as they say, the devil is in the details. Amen? Um, I was just thinking, you know, I mean, if you're going to use the the general principle of Isaiah 53, that you suffered and then God (laughs) exalted you up just to be funny for a little bit. I can apply that to myself this morning. I went to Starbucks. I mean, it didn't happen, but if I go to Starbucks and the espresso machine is broken and I'm very devastated and I'm sorry, very humiliated and then the manager comes and gives me a gift card for, for two three drinks, I can say Isaiah 53 talks about me, right? I mean, I suffered and then the Lord exalted me, right? So the idea is not to say that everybody is suffering and then being exalted is what Isaiah 53 is talking about. Isaiah 53 has a specific person in mind so that's why we need to dig into all the details and see if that even applicable to Israel or anybody else for that matter that who suffers or endure persecution and then God exalt them or vindicate them, then we say, hey, Isaiah 53 talks about that person. Amen? Um, I actually didn't do number one. I was thinking I'm going to pick only a few, but I ended up doing number two all the way down. So let's just skip number one for now. Uh, I'll update this document whenever I have a chance, and then uh, we'll look into it. But let's, let's start with number two. Isaiah will be marred through the exile. So remember that, Isaiah 52, verse 14, his, his uh, image will so marred beyond man or beyond the shadow of a man. And then that scripture in Lamentation says this. Uh, but it happened. That's a lamentation, four thirteen. But it happened because of the sins of uh, her prophets and the iniquities of the priest who shed within his um, uh, the shed the blood of the righteous in its middle. So it says here in lamentation that the reason Israel was punished and was so blackened and so disfigured under the judgment of God is what? Because of the sins of her prophets, right? That's the context of lamentation. So. Yes, Israel was in a way metaphorically disfigured under the judgment of God, but it was disfigured because they sinned and God was punishing them, right? That is not the case with our servant, amen? Our servant has no deceit in his mouth. He's never lied. He never sinned. The reason he was disfigured is that he was the substitute for somebody else's sin. You guys follow me? So the comparison here doesn't stand. Can I hear an amen? All right, let's move to number three. Um, number three says this, that the nation will be shocked at the vindication of the servant. Okay, let's look into that. Is that what Isaiah was referring to here? Um, well, the thing is that text in Isaiah 52 doesn't just say that the nation will be shocked. They will be shocked. They will shut their mouth in his presence. But it says something else about the servant, that he will uh, sprinkle many nations. That is a high priest function where the high priest cleanses people from their sins by by sprinkling them with blood or with water. So many incidences in the Old Testament. Amen? So, We never hear ever anywhere else in the whole Bible that a nation of Israel has the ability or the power to cleanse any other nation from their sins. Amen. The servant can though. Amen. So that's a big difference between what the servant did to the nations versus what Israel can do to the nation. Nations can be astonished at the blessings of Israel, but the servant is way above that. The servant is the one who is the cleanser of the nation because of he cleansing their sins and providing salvation for them. That is the reason for their astonishment. You guys follow me? So the comparison here doesn't stand either. Let's go to number four. What does it say? Israel grew as a plant before God. Well, let's look into it. I did this a while ago, so I can't remember all of it. Um, Okay, so the idea here, well... Yes, Israel grew a plant, and that verse says that Israel grew as a plant before God. But the idea is not that the servant was like a plant before God. The idea is the servant has no majesty, no majestic appearance about him that will draw us to him and think, oh, this is the Messiah, this is the king that God has sent. So even though Israel was described as a plant somewhere else, there's no comparison here because the, the point of Isaiah 53 is that the servant was not majestic, was was very common in his appearance, just like you and me. Amen? Let's go to number, I skipped five. Again, I was, some of it, I was thought this, I don't have to look into all of that. So let's just look on number six. Um, Israel's suffering was described as wounds. And he mentioned many other examples where Israel was wounded. Correct? Um, Israel wounds was because of their sins. Every single time this author refers to Israel's punishment as wounds, is because they have sinned against God. Every single incident he quotes. They sinned against God, God punished them, and their punishment is described as wounds. But the servant was not wounded for his own sins like Israel. The servant was wounded for whose sin? For our sins. And he was bruised for our transgressions. The comparison doesn't stand as well. Amen? Let's move to number seven. If you have any questions, just stop me. The nations thought that Israel was rejected by God. Okay? So, and he has other examples of that. Well... The example he quoted, the strongest one, I believe, was Jeremiah 57. The rest of it doesn't really say what he's trying to say. But it indicates that the nation thought that Israel was punished because of their sins. So the idea is valid. The nations looked and they thought that Israel is being rejected by God. But they were rejected by God because they sinned against God. God poured out his judgment on them. And because of that, the nations looked at Israel being punished for their own sins. And they said, oh, they have been rejected by God. Amen. Now, that is not the case with our servant here in Isaiah 53, right? It was He was rejected by God, not because he has committed sin, not because he has uh, broke the law of God. As a matter of fact, he was rejected in spite of the fact that he committed no sin because he was our substitute on the cross. Amen? Uh, the other example he quoted was Psalm 94, 5 to 7, indicates that the nations thought that God doesn't see. Okay, so there is no comparison here. Again, all the examples he's saying that Israel was described this way so far, it was done because of their own sins because they deserved it. Amen. That's not the case with our servants. We cannot compare apple and oranges and they say they did the exact same thing. Amen. Let's move to number eight. Number eight is the biggest one. This is the most important one. Okay. So what does number eight say here? Israel suffered to do the wickedness of the nations. Okay. There are all sorts of sufferings that we read about in the Bible. You guys follow me? There is suffering because you sin. The Bible tells us that if you're a child of God and you sin against God, God will discipline you. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew, the letter to the Hebrews say, if God doesn't discipline you when you sin, you're an illegitimate children. The very reason God disciplines you is because you have sinned against God. Amen? So there is some sort of suffering that a person can endure under the judgment of God. Sinners will be punished because they sinned against God. Believers will be punished if they don't repent and they sin against God. Amen? On top of that, there are persecution. So you can be a Christian and you have never done anything wrong. You're trying to do everything right by God and try to walk by his commandment. Yet, you will experience suffering anyway because Jesus said in the world you will have trouble. Jesus said that you will be persecuted in the world. Amen? So you can be suffering because you're a righteous person. Now, every single instance in the Old Testament, as far as I remember, or as far as I know, I might be off. Israel is being punished because of... Of their sins okay they sin against God so the wrath of God is kindled against them I only found probably one or two incidents where it doesn't directly say that Israel suffered because of their sins the first incidence, I think, was 2 Kings seventeen seven to 23. That's when King Hezekiah, the nations, came against him, even though he was a righteous king. Okay, so he's a righteous king, yet he's suffering. The last example, I think, was Psalm 79, 4 to 7, when it says, you know, Israel would just like sheep being led to the slaughter for your sake all day long. But even in these two incidents that I found, uh, there might be more that I don't remember, I don't know, but this is the only thing I came up with, okay? Even with these two incidences, the suffering of Israel is just like how Christians are being persecuted in a world that doesn't like God. Amen? They're suffering because they wanted to do the right thing and evil just comes their way because we live in a fallen and sinful world. Amen? Now, the suffering of the servant in Isaiah 53 is a whole new and different category that nobody else experienced ever throughout the scripture. Amen? The servant didn't suffer because he was trying to obey the word of God in a fallen world. Amen? And the servant didn't suffer because he sinned and God was punishing him. Amen? The servant suffered as a substitute for our sins. He took our sins upon upon himself and that's why he suffered. Amen? Now this is the kind of suffering that nobody ever in the Bible ever experienced except the servant of the Lord with, which is like uh, parallel to what Jesus suffered in the New Testament. He's the only one that I know of in the whole Bible who suffered because he bore somebody else's sin. Amen? So the suffering, they say, oh, we suffer because it's a wicked world. Well, that's not even remotely what Isaiah is talking about here. Amen? Isaiah is not talking about the wickedness of this world or how you should endure persecution or, um, you know, you sin against God, you'll be punished. Isaiah 53 talks about the servant who was our substitute. Amen? That's not Israel. That can never be any human being, period. Amen? All right, number nine. Israel was like lambs led to the slaughter. Again, uh, the idea here is that Israel was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Did I answer that even? I don't know. Um, uh, I, 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 what that? It, it is simple. If you go to back to verse uh, to Psalm forty four again, Israel is being persecuted because they're trying to do the right thing before God. That is not the kind of suffering that the servant is experiencing here in Isaiah fifty three. Amen. The, the servant again was not persecuted. He was our substitute. That's a big difference when you need to understand the scripture. Let's move to number ten. What does it say here? Um, the Jewish people exiled from the land of uh, Israel. Um, uh, that's in Isaiah 53.8. Well, the problem is this is not what Isaiah 53.8 talks about. Isaiah 53.8 says that the servant was cut out of the land of the living, i.e. he physically died, right? He's not talking about the servant being exiled from one location to another location. He's talking about the servant experiencing physical death. That can never be a nation of Israel. Amen? It doesn't matter what other parallel scripture he has. Isaiah 53 doesn't say that. Amen? You guys follow me? Alright, let's move to number 11. The parallel here again. I need to just have that straight. Okay, number 11. Israel had no deceit in their mouth. I was impressed when he said that, like, when he found that verse. It's just amazing what what you can find the Bible say when you want it to say something. So in Esophaniah, actually, 3, verse 13 to 20, it talks about, you know, Group in Israel doesn't have the seed in their mouth. Remember, that's how the servant was described in Isaiah 53. But when you go and read Sophaniah verse 3, it's a totally different story. In Sophaniah 3, it starts by talking about God's judgment over the nation of Israel. But God in his mercy and his grace were, were preserved for himself. A faithful remnant that did not, uh, that obeyed God and was faithful to God. And that... Faithful remnant, the Bible described as there was no deceit in their mouth. Amen. So that has nothing to do with Isaiah 53. Sophania, verse uh, chapter three, talks about that, that 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 faithful remnant that has no deceit in their mouth being preserved out of the punishment and out of the wrath of God. They didn't ex- experience God's judgment because there was no deceit in their mouth. Amen. But the servant here experienced God's judgment in spite of the fact that there was no deceit in his mouth. You guys follow me? But if you're a Jew or you're somebody who doesn't know the scripture and you read this, I mean, when I read that 15 similarities, I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? How am I going to answer all of this? You just have to dig deeper and deeper and just don't be intimidated. Amen. Um, The 12th similarity. We're almost done, you guys. Israel will be rewarded with faithfulness. And long life. And he has some examples to that. Well, let's look into that. Um, here's the thing. The servant was not just promised long life. If you guys remember what we said when we started that, uh, that verse. Remember in verse 8, the servant was cut off from the land of the living, Right? And then here we see that the servant is given long life, right? So that says that the servant who died now has been risen from the dead and he will live forever. That's what Isaiah is trying to tell us, right? Now, Israel was never physically dead, was never resurrected from the dead, so they can have it like life, long life. This is not what Isaiah 53 is talking about. Even though we see blessings from God to Israel when they obey uh, that God will give them long life, this is not what Isaiah 53 is talking about here. You guys follow me? Mm -hmm. Because Israel never experienced any... um, any... um any resurrection thank you i'm just there yes and one more thing every single time every single time god promises israel blessings and long life it's either because of their obedience to the word of god so god says if you obey my word then you'll have it etern- have long life if you obey my word then you will be blessed so this is a reward for their obedience or or god just say even though you're not faithful I am faithful and because of my love and my mercy and my grace, I will give you blessing and I will give you long life anyways to the faithful remnant who will stay, right? But that's not the case here with our servant, right? The servant was not promised blessings from God and long life because because he obeyed the word of God or because God decided to be faithful to him. The Bible tells us point blank that the reason the servant will experience long life and a blessing is because he bore the sins of many. That has nothing to do with Israel. has nothing to do with God's blessings to Israel. You guys follow me? Clear like mud? Good. If you run into a Jew and you don't know what to say, then I'm going to be very not happy with you. (laughs) All right. Let's uh, almost done here. Let's do uh, the similarity number 13. And I lost my page, of course. Okay, give me a minute. Okay. Uh, following them. 13. All right, here's the, the thimla- similarity to 13. The Jewish people will bring light and blessing to the world by teaching the word of God. Again, it, uh, this argument doesn't even stand. Okay, Israel will obey God. And when they obey God, many nations will be blessed because of that. And they will come to hear the teaching of God. But the servant didn't. Teach the word of God. That's how he brought blessings to the nations. Amen? The servant was the substitute. He took the judgment that the nations deserve, and that's how he brought blessing to the nations. Amen? There is no comparison here. Number 14, rewards will be given to the Jewish people. Again, if you look into all the examples he quotes here, the reward is either because of their obedience or because of God's love and faithfulness to them. Amen? That's not the case with our servant who was rewarded because he was the substitute for our sins. That's like apple and oranges. You cannot even have any comparison there. Amen? Israel interceded for the nations, and uh, and that's, uh, we read about the servant, that he interceded uh, for transgressors. Well, let's look into that. The scripture he's quoting is actually from Jeremiah 29, 7. When God is commanding Israel to pray for the welfare of the nation, where they're going to be exiled or going to be captured. I mean, that's just God telling Israel, pray for the nations where you're going to go. God is not saying interceding for transgressors, right? That is totally different. When when I ask Emmanuel to pray for a need I have, it doesn't mean that he's interceding for the transgressors and my sins, and he's standing in the gap for that. That's what the servant did, amen? The servant intercession was to stand before the judgment of God and the people and divert that wrath away, right? But Israel, is just praying for the welfare of the nations, that God will just bless the people who bless them that's just apple and oranges. Again, nothing here talks about Israel being the nation. Amen? Now, but think about that. If you're a Jew, you're a Jew, you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and you sit next to, some, next to a rabbi who's telling you all these similarities and point out all these scriptures, you're going to be like, oh, these dumb Christians. Amen? We need to pray for the people because it's, it's, it's amazing to me how, like, sometimes people don't want to obey the word of God. They just want to obey what they think the word of God says. Amen? Yes. All right. Now, if the servant of the Lord is Israel, okay, let's assume that for a second. Isaiah 53 talks about Israel. Pretty much the whole chapter will not make any sense A lot of these phrases can never be applicable to the nation of Israel, literally or metaphorically. Like, even if you want to say that's a metaphor, it doesn't even make sense, even if it's metaphorically. Let's look at a few examples. Number one. We see that the servant will purify, will justify will, the servant himself. You guys follow me? It's not that the, just, the servant will bring healing through his obedience or his righteousness or whatever. The servant himself will be the one who purifies, justifies, heal, bear the sins, intercede for sinners. That can never be a human being. That can never be the nation of Israel, period. Amen? Look at all these examples. He will sprinkle many nations. That can never be Israel sprinkling the nations. He bore our griefs. Israel was never a substitute to bear the wrath of God. And our sorrows he carried. Israel never carried somebody else that was punished for God. Because God wanted to punish another nation. He was pierced throughout because of our transgressions. Again, Israel was no substitute for nobody. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. The Lord has caused all our iniquity to fall on him. By his scourging we were healed. No nation will be healed because Israel was punished. It just there is no parallel to any of that in the Scripture. Amen. Listen, the Bible says in the word of two or three witnesses, every word must be established. Amen. If you want to establish a doctrine that this is Israel, you might, fi- you must find other scriptures that clearly teach the same thing. When you find it, then we can talk about it. Amen? But you cannot take one vague scripture that doesn't say what it say- what you say it says. And because you're so biased, you don't want to believe that it says something else. Amen? That's precisely how you get into a cult and how you don't obey the word of God. Amen? You don't start with a vague scripture and then you say, I assume the scripture says that because I wanted to say that. Now, let's go from here. It doesn't work. Amen? All right. um, Again, let's move on. My servant will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities. He himself bore the sins of many and he will intercede for transgressors. All these examples that the servant will be a substitute has There is absolutely no other being except Jesus throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament who was ever a substitute for sin. Amen? There's nobody else that these verses can apply to literally or metaphorically. Amen? We see that the servant will experience physical death. He was cut off from the land of the living. And then it says, uh, the end of the chapter, because he poured out himself to death. As far as I know, the nation of Israel is still alive and well never died and came back to life. Can Anybody can correct me on that. Amen? The servant will be numbered with sinners. That doesn't even make sense. He was numbered with the transgressors. Israel was never numbered with any transgressors, right? Jesus was numbered with transgressors on the cross. The servant will be buried in a grave. And the grave was assigned to a wicked man. Yet uh, he was with a rich man in his death. That can never be a nation. Israel didn't go to the grave and came back. Even if you want to apply that metaphorically, it just I don't know what, what, where would it go. Amen? The servant will experience life after death. He'll die and then he will rise again from the dead. God said, I will prolong his lives. And then number E, the servant will inherit the nation as his reward. This is extremely important. Every single other incidents in the Bible, we see that other nations will be blessed because of Israel. Okay? Like they see the blessing of God for Israel, and that's draw them to God because they see what God is doing with Israel. Amen. But we never see that Israel will inherit the nations, and the nations will be Israel portion because of their suffering. That's just foreign concept to the Scripture. That is just we don't find it anywhere else. Amen. The servant is not just going to bring blessing to the nations. He will inherit the nations. Amen? That's a massive difference. We see that. He will see his own offspring. And God said, I will allot him portion. With that? Great. Amen? He will inherit the nations. It's not just he's going to bring blessings to the nations. Amen? We're done with Isaiah 53. 45 minutes. I'm glad we didn't go through all the seven uh, objections. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray.